0: but then because they're not getting it right, you don't let them do it. So it creates these cycles that at a certain point just gets too much. And that's this very founder's mojo that got the business started at a certain point is what strangles it and keeps it from growing.
1: Busy, busy, busy. We are all so busy and that makes it really easy to come up with excuses not to do the work that's most important to us because That's also usually the work that's scariest. I'm Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit and increase your operational capacity. Now, we've been talking a lot lately about all the ways that founders get in their own way and the practical tools you can use to get out of your own way. I talked to Michelle Warner about the power of process. I talked to Tanya Dalton about the power of prioritizing. I talked to Agnes Kowalski about the power of dealing with your money stories. I talked to Nicole Lewis Kieber about the power of letting go of perfection. And last week I talked to Jason Van Orden about the power of patience. And today to wrap up our series, we're tackling procrastination. It is probably the most common way that founders, business owners, and really just about anyone trying to do anything gets in their own way. My guest today, Charlie Gilkey, helps people start finishing the stuff that matters. He's the founder of Productive Flourishing, author of the book, Start Finishing, and host of the Productive Flourishing podcast. Charlie and I tackle not just getting out of your own way, but also how to get out of your team's way and how the stage in your business affects the roadblocks you'll run up against. Hey, Charlie, thanks so much for being here with me today.
0: Susan, thanks for having me. I'm pumped to be here
1: so you have a concept in one of your books that you call founders mojo and i think that speaks exactly to this entire theme of founders getting in their own way so can you tell me a little bit about founders mojo and how you see that impacting businesses yeah
0: that's a great place to start and um i kind of want to start with where i came up with and why i had to s- sort of like give it a name is because as i was working with so many small business owners i kept having to explain to them "like Look." The way you think your team should be behaving, and the way you think everyone around you should be happening, is not the way that that's probably going to happen. You, you're special in this way. You got, and so I started calling it founder's mojo, which is just, you know, that amalgam of like intuition and vision and experience and drivenness that just lets founders do what they do. i um, small business owners do what they do, and and you got to think about it this way. No one else in the business besides the founder at a certain scale at a certain stage kind of knows and can see all of the parts at the same time. They know the strategy, even if they haven't articulated it. They know the cash flow needs, they know the marketing, they just got off of three calls with their clients so they know exactly what people are saying. They know their peers, all of this embedded knowledge in the founder And that drive that, you know, you wake up in the morning, assuming you got to sleep, um and thinking about the business right thinking about what you're going to do and like we founders will project that onto the people around them right their teammates their vAs their um sometimes their clients because their clients aren't responding and aren't doing things on their time scale so that's really what it is that fundamental like spark and connection of vision drive knowledge instinct intuition that really um centers on the founder. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think that's actually kind of the core at what we're talking about here is that In in your reference, it's talking about all of those really unique, powerful characteristics about the founder that brings the business success. And also, as our businesses tend to pick up all of our own idiosyncrasies, the, the idiosyncrasies of like early members of our team, and the business starts to kind of embody that, sometimes the weaknesses or the blind spots that we have tend to become blind spots or weaknesses in the business and so i think they're really inter interrelated at least in my opinion
0: well yeah and i'm glad you mentioned that because at a certain point founders have to be functionally delusional in the sense <laughs> <love> where <laughs> you you have to sort of look at the business landscape and know how many people fail and it doesn't work out and know all the ways that it happens and still believe that you're going to be the one that's successful right yeah still you, have be- be <laughs> you have to be an optimist do you have to be in in a delusional sort of way, because if you looked at the statistics, right, any single one of us should not make it. And yet some of us do. And so we have to believe that we're that one, but we also have to know that everyone else thinks that they're going to be that one too. Right. And so yeah. that's, that's where this delusion. And I, I comment on that because um, it takes a lot of courage to start a business. And in some ways, it takes a lot of courage and perspective and grit to look at all the naysayers and look at all the people who question and look at all the people worried about you and thinking about like, shouldn't you go get a job and say, you know what, I'm doing this thing. And then as you know, your business and your business efforts start to validate that hunch that you have, you have to sort of hang on to that. And to your point, Susan, that you hang on to that you grow the business, business, you ratchet it up to another level of success, which confirms your bias as a founder that you are right right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that you knew what you were doing and then you ratchet it up again, which confirms that. Um, but what we often can't see is that blind spot that in our businesses, we are, um, creating snags. We're creating bottles bottlenecks. We're creating, um, culture in a way, um, that we often don't think about And I'm gonna pause here because I think a lot of small business owners and founders don't think about in terms of culture business culture that they're creating, but we in fact are, um, because teams have culture. At a certain point, those bottlenecks, those very unique ways of seeing things, um, that the pattern by which um, you become the smartest person in the room about all the things such in such that you don't realize that you're kneecapping your team's ability to actually become smarter than you and be able to run the business. So they continue to turn to you, which pisses you off, but, but then because they're not getting it right, you don't let them do it. So it creates these cycles that at a certain point just gets too much. And that's this very founders mojo that got the business started at a certain point is what strangles it and keeps it from growing.
1: Yeah, I love that. So you talked about kind of creating that bottleneck and not trusting your team. Um, and in your book, you also mentioned like five ways that you see business owners stifle their own growth. And I imagine that's one of them. You know, can you tell me a little bit more about how you see kind of that founder's mojo, those unique things starting to really impact their growth?
0: Yeah, well, um, the first two are very heavily inter- interlinked and they're the bootstrapper mindset and the bootstrapper habit. Right. And I always separate mindset and practices because sometimes the, well, those will often diverge. Um, but the bootstrapper mindset is just like, if it needs to get done, like we do it, I do it right. (laughs) I I know how to do it. So I'm going to do it. Um, we sort of project that on tone to our teams as well. Like if something needs to get done, they they're going to do it, but we get this very sort of like, it's all on me mindset. Um, that then leads to the habit that we don't even think about, say, delegating. We don't even think about talking to a marketing strategist. We don't even think about some of those types of things because um, we are the solution for every problem we have in our business because that's what it means to be a bootstrapper. It's all on you. Um, And those two put together leads to a situation to where, um, you know, the bootstrapper, the founder is like, I see a problem, I'm gonna fix it. Um, they immediately start fixing it. Then we get frustrated because the people that we bring onto our team don't see the problem and they don't fix it, right? And so it reinforces this habit that if there's something wrong, I gotta fix it. And so we end up in that loop. We sort of go into the third um, way we stifle business growth, which is, um, I might call it the, having to sort through the bucket of marbles. It's like any given challenge in the business, there's one or maybe three core issues in there that really does require the founder to figure it out, but it's bar- those marbles are in a bucket of other smaller marbles. Like, you know, where did an invoice go? Or did someone respond to this email? Or did you make that phone call? And why is the sauna not working today? And just all the things. So every time you go in there and just try to find that one thing, you, get, you touch all these other ones. And then because you have the bootstrapper mindset, you start getting in there and fixing them or wondering, and it's like owning a problem that's not yours. And the thing about it is, is okay. In this specific instance of you answering this specific email, you're upside down. But keep in mind that you're by not building this process, by not building this um, delegation and workway in your team, you're committing to answering those types of emails for the remainder of your business life, right? And it's not just that it's one email, it's not just that it's one call, it's not just that it's one thing, it's like we're all buried under a heap of 15 minute to do's. So the fourth thing you sort of roll into is the insufficient trust. And I have to be careful here because trust is a loaded word. Um, It both means the sort of the moral trust, lie, cheating, stealing, that sort of thing. But it's also just trusting in the sense that if someone says they're gonna do something that it's gonna get done or that it's gonna be done well enough Um, And so I want to place it more on their teammates ability more so than their teammates character. If you got a character trust issue, that's a completely different issue than if you have a um, ability trust issue. Um, And because... Um, a founder's mojo. And, and, and hopefully I'm, I'm sure if, if this particular discussion sounds very circular in the sense where it's like, because this happens, this happens, and then this happens again and again, that's actually because I'm trying to describe what happens, right? It's not just that I'm talking right. in circles <laughs> that's here. That's
1: absolutely what happens. Right? Is it always ends up circling back to some other issue. Yeah.
0: And so because they've got the bootstrapper mindset and they're like, it's on me to do it, so I'll do it. And that creates the habit. And then they're always touching everything so that um, they're always fixing something. Basically their teammates around them don't learn how to do the things that they learn how to do, and they can't do it. And so it ends up creating this insufficient trust cycle because they won't even delegate or ask their teammates to do anything because they don't trust that it's going to get done. So what do they do? They do it themselves right and get ever better Mm -hmm. get ever stronger in their founders mojo and leave their team ever further behind um once you sort of can work through some of those to where you get out of this bootstrapper mindset and you get out of the habit you figure out what your core what your core work is as a founder and how to trust your team that last sort of snag that i've seen um, founders do and this is a very um counterintuitive one for so many founders and small business owners Um, once you get to the point to where your team is already doing stuff for you and you know, the business is working and things like that thing that immediately comes up for so many of my founders is if I'm not involved in the day-to-day operations of the business, like what will I do? What am I contributing to the business? Like I can't have all these people out there working and I'm not, that just doesn't. And when I say it that way, to be honest, most of you listening who are small business owners, you're like, but isn't that the dream, Charlie? And I'm like, that's what we tell ourselves. But in practice, what we do is end up getting in the business and creating crises, creating challenges, creating frictions, or destroying the business so that we will have something to do.
1: That's so true. I uh, I see that a lot in um, it was interesting. So I the the last like professional position I had was as a CFO and I was turning over my like my work to the to my replacement when i left um and we were having a discussion about like what do you do day to day and really my role i had a lot of direct reports they all were you know doing their work um you know the the style i know you're prior military too so i'm sure like you get this the best thing i learned from the military was how to delegate things Mm -hmm. and, and to delegate things and we were talking about you know what what do i do every day at work and i was like i really don't do anything like i sit in a a couple of meetings but my job is to make sure that the people who work for me have the tools and resources and support to do their job and i get out of their way Mm -hmm. (laughs) that is literally how this happens my day-to-day is not doing much except occasionally putting out a fire
0: yeah i think people underestimate how much work it takes to get the hell out of the way
1: It's so hard.
0: It's so hard.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And for me, the the switch that I had to make mentally was building space in my own brain for part of my job is mentorship. Mm -hmm. And part of my job is to develop my team and make sure that they have the skills to do what they need to do. So sometimes that is, you know, they come into the office and like you said, that's giving them tools, asking questions so that they can learn kind of the the framework that you would learn to solve the problem, they can actually step through that themselves. And maybe you spend the first time, you know, walking them through the process. And maybe you spend the second time walking them through the process. But once they've been through it a few times, and they understand that they they are empowered to solve that problem on their own, and now they know how to do that, then it's less of an issue the next time because they'll just start solving the problems themselves and depending on the person that process takes a little bit longer for some than others but the the switch I had to make was that that is a core part of my job as a founder or as a leader is that my job when you're talking about like what do you do all day if you're not actually in the you know sticking your fingers in the business your job is to sit there and be a mentor and develop your team and that was one of the ways that i managed to kind of get my fingers out, out of the day to day or the temptation to get out of the day to day because i could tell myself i was still i was still doing something
0: yeah i'm still i'm still adding value to the company see but that's that's where i want to i want to really hang out in this space a little bit if we may susan because yeah, sure. what that that drive to contribute and to do something and to create value i think fundamentally like confuses how owners, how we should be thinking of ourselves as owner of a, owners of a business. So regardless of how you, whether you're an S Corp and how you do your, your pay or your wages versus dividends, but like there's a part of the value that you create from doing the work in the business in the earlier stages of your journey, a lot of your value comes from the work that you do in the business the longer your business works, it's not the work that you're, it's not the technical work. It's not sort of the working in the business to use the sort of well-worn Michael Gerber sort of things. It's how you work on the business. Um, But I would take it a little bit more how you work on the business through your team. Mm. And in a later life cycle, the healthier businesses, the best founders are the ones that are doing um, what seems like the least work, right? If your business If your business can survive for two or three months without you, you know, besides a random phone call here and there, because there's this sort of edge case, that is the value that you've created. That is the value that you created. Not you, button seat time, sitting in an office, pining away for something to do, or pining for some way for someone to tell you, good job, um, or pining for like your your sense of contribution in the world. Because we got to remember, businesses should serve people, which by extension businesses should serve their founders and owners and unfortunately Susan you and I have both seen it's how much it's really a one-way street that the founder and owner is serving the business um, mm-hmm. but not really getting their life back for it
1: yes I love that I think that's the perfect the perfect way to summarize that is you know we're for the most part we're all building businesses because we want that to support our life mm-hmm. and we get lost. Uh, somewhere along the way and forget to have a life sometimes
0: yeah and that the business is not our life yeah right
1: yeah i like that so i want to shift focus a little bit here and talk about um one of your books it's called start finishing and at the core it's really about how to actually do the work that matters not all of the work, but the work that matters. And one of the ways I think that a lot of business owners get in their own way is through procrastination. You know, we use procrastination in a lot of different ways to avoid doing the real work. And how do you see this kind of playing out with with your clients or the folks that you work with?
0: You know, this is a great question. Um, I want to sort of start it with a counterpoint here. Um, Susan, what's your favorite dessert? Mm, Cheesecake. Cheesecake. How often do you procrastinate on eating cheesecake?
1: Not very. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: Mine is ice cream, right? And so the funny thing about this is we don't need like a major productivity system and accountability buddies and, you know, all of the sort of things to make us eat ice cream or cheesecake. It's like they're in front of us. We eat it. We wish we hadn't ate so much of it. Um, We tell ourselves we're not going to do it next time. Um, and so a lot of times when I start thinking about procrastination, um, I really want to get into the emotion of the particular work or activity because if it, if it were ice cream, you wouldn't be procrastinating. You wouldn't be thinking about it. So typically what we look at is um, the things we procrastinate on are the things that scare us the most. We think that it's actually about some cognitive sort of, I need to know the right answer or I need to be smart or whatever. But I want to get to what is it about this particular thing that scares you, right? It could be you're procrastinating on letting something go because you're scared your teammates are going to screw it up, right? So that's that's the sort of thing right there. And underneath that fear of them screwing it up is how much money you'll lose. And, you know, if we keep scratching at that, you'll be in the van down by the river, right? <laughs> um, or maybe you know, on the counter side to us and like what, um, counter side, meaning like when people are at that stage where they need to get themselves out of the bottlenecks, the fear and the thing that keeps them from doing the work that it takes to get there is often that like, what will they, what will my teammates think of me if I'm don't, if I don't come in five days a week, right? Um, will they trust me? Will they like me? Will they think it's bullshit? Like what's going on there? Um, now that's for stuff. And I want to, I want to bracket that those are for things that we don't just hate, right? Like a lot of <laughs> us will procrastinate over doing bookkeeping because unless you're like a bookkeeper or maybe Susan, who the hell wants to do that, right? That's not what you signed up for. Um it, it, It's like kind of like, Susan, you'll get where I'm coming from here. It's like, you know, on all the sort of like sign up for the military commercials, they don't show folks sh- like spending days <laughs> shining boots and, and cleaning <laughs> weapons and, you know, on KP. They don't show that. Right. You get to do all the cool stuff. Well, in the business sense, there's all this sort of like shining and sort of work that you got to do that no one really wants to do. And so, I mean, I can understand problems of procrastination when it's just what I call dread work. You just don't want to do it. Right. Um, And in those scenarios, it's largely like getting real about the fact you only have a few options here, right? You can either do it, um, you can delete it, um, you can defer it, or you can delegate it. You got those four Ds, hat tip. You know david allen on those right um and it's getting super quick about which one of those you're going to do and just owning that and doing it as quickly as possible right um or if you know you are not certain well hold on i'll pause here i get excited in this place if you can't tell (laughs) um we're really bad about creating artificial urgency for ourselves just as people created people even more so, right? Because we can think of the, we can create the 17 different reasons why we need to do something right now. Um, and so part of our task as founders and people is on the one hand, to not always be creating artificial urgency such that we live our lives with that sort of background anxiety that everyone who's a founder, who's listened to me, knows what I'm talking about, right? That's mm-hmm. a lot of that is an amalgam of true urgency of like people really, really about to knock the door down versus your fear that if you don't do something like something's going to happen in two or three days um so that's one sort of like stop creating so much of the artificial urgency because the artificial urgency one of the things that it does besides another thing that it does besides the anxiety piece is that it only reinforces that bootstrapper mindset and habit so when it comes to the dread work um you have those four d's that i just mentioned there um i know now that you've revealed about my military background, I know what all of our creative founders will start to say about this. It's like, yeah, that works for y'all because you're military and, and you have discipline, but that's not me. Um, fast fact, a lot of people who were successful in the military did so despite discipline problems. Right. So I'm one same. of same. <laughs> right. People <laughs> like Charlie, you get it because you're disciplined. I'm like, man, I work, my- <laughs> I work hard not-, not to do a whole bunch of stuff, but...
1: Yes. It makes you very, uh, I like to call it like you're a little bit of a lazy perfectionist. You figure out the laziest way to accomplish whatever it is that you need to accomplish.
0: Yeah. Look, every productivity strategist and every real strategist, we we balance that line between being lazy as possible, but also being control freaks. It's a very (laughs) weird, it's It's a very very weird person to be. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so, um, just understanding that that work that you're not doing, that you're thinking about, that you're sort of um, sort of hovering around, you're still putting emotional labor on that work. It's still mm. clogging up resources that you could be using to solve the actual challenges of it. So for a lot of people, I used to be like, I have a nuance with like the first things first thing um, and the swallow the frog first thing in the morning, which you know, many people have heard. Um, what I will say for most people it works is do every day, every day earlier in the day do just at least one thing uh on that dread list i call them frogs frog tasks are just those things that like they get hairier and water waterier the longer you get there it's also a reference to the you know um the mark twain if you have to swallow a frog do it first thing in the morning sort of thing Mm -hmm. um if you can just get into the habit of swallowing if you're not the violent type catching frogs you know two or three a day earlier in the day not first thing, but earlier in your workday, your life will be so much better because you won't end up in that place where you have so many of these things looking at you that you just can't think anymore. And you'll avoid the bad commitments that we often will make with ourselves. It's like, you know what? I'm going to batch them all into like this epic Friday thing. (laughs) And then I'm just going to get through them all. Guess what? That Friday comes... You're not going to look forward to that Friday and the odds are, you're really not going to get through that list Nope. and you're still going to beat yourself up and you're still going to have the frogs. So how about let's not do that. Right. Um, so the best thing I could say for procrastination is one, if it's on this sort of stuff that you don't hate or it's not to dread work, really get clear about what it is that scares you about it or makes you uncomfortable. Um, and get into the story of the work, because once you untangle that, you'll be able to figure out what to do and how to go with that. And if it's just on the dread work sort of frog side of things, be in just constant flow with these, um, so that you don't get that backup. Um, that, you know, um, I, I really feel for folks who do the thing where they're like, you know what, Friday afternoon, I'm just going to take all afternoon and do email. Um... Or whatever whatever day that is, because I'm like, there, there could be a better way of doing that. Now, caveat, fundamentally do what works for you. If clearing out your Friday afternoon and doing all of your email and just getting it done really does work for you, then do that. Pay no attention to what I'm saying. But if what you're doing is not working, I invite you to do something different.
1: I like that. So I think this is maybe related. Uh, But you also talked about finding momentum in your business and how it's really hard to gain momentum and very easy to lose momentum. And that That's also kind of one of the ways that business owners get in in their own way. They kind of step off the tracks just before that roller coaster is about to kind of finally roll downhill. And then they start losing momentum because they're self-sabotaging. Either the light gets too bright on them or, you know, right at that point where they actually do start to get traction, you know, they just stop. They do something to derail the train. So how do you see that kind of playing out? And how do you, how do you counteract that?
0: Oh, that's a great question. So let's start with why we do that um, before we go into what, what to fix. And um, I, I, it's top of mind now that, I'm ta- that I know you have a military background. There's a way military folks describe things, y'all, and you, you're hearing this. Like, what's going on? Why does that do, why is that happening? And then what can we do to fix it, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's that's always <laughs> the way that we work through things. And so bear with us, because we always have to tell you, here's why that happens. So that uh, the solutions that we're going to give um, have context. Um, I think, you know, I wrote about this and start finishing. There are three, I actually, um, wish I would have made it, made it 4 no win scenarios. And so since I'm, I get to do that, there are four no win scenarios. We end up telling ourselves, um, that really create that, um, that pattern where we step off right before success, we step off right before we've, we've made it into <laughs> the promised land, um, and then keep ourselves in the thrash. The first one is, um, that success is going to cost success is going to wreck your relationships. So if you're successful, then, and I'll, I'll put this in the context of a founder, if your business takes off and you've already been running as hard as you can do, and it takes off and goes to that next level, it's going to swallow you whole and you're not going to see your family, friends, loved ones, and communities for like the next three years. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. then your you know, your wife is going to leave you. Um, your kids are going to hate you and you'll end up in a van down by the river. Right.
1: <laughs> it always uh, ends in a van down it, by the river. It, it, I don't know why, but it look,
0: does. y'all there. Hopefully Susan will link to it. If you don't know what we're talking about, but so many of we're, we have joking here, but so many of our founder stories terminate with van down by the river. And they it's, always do. And, it, and it's super fun. <laughs> funny. It's like, here, here's how we think about this. And if I'm saying this and when I say it out loud, if it sounds absurd, I get that. But it's actually how we, um, I would say, think about it. Um, but it's how we feel our way and group our way through these situations. What we do, Susan, is we think success is going to take us a long, long, long time to get right. It's a bunch of, you know, decades and a bunch of decisions, so on and so forth. But one mistake, van down by the river, <laughs> Yep. <laughs> right? Um, we don't assume those possibilities of like, you know, actually there might be two or three things that I can do there. I get success tomorrow. Right. We, we, most of us can't imagine that story. Um, but we, that one, one bad decision van down by the river, man, so many of us have that one. Um, and so here's what I want to say about that. Um, unless it is a character mistake, there is not one tactical mistake that is going to put you down in the van down by the river, which is not going to happen right now. The character mistakes, lying, cheating and stealing and those types of things, those will get you there pretty quickly. Right. <laughs> Um, so you get like this wide range of tactical mistakes and I want you to embrace those because, um, you have to learn just like we learn how to live by living, we learn how to do business and to succeed at business by doing business and succeeding at business. There is no other way. That also means a lot of mistakes. That also means a lot of that, but as long as you're not on the character side of things, lying, cheating, stealing, um, saying things that aren't true, you know, fraud, those types of things. You're going to be fine. There is no van down by the river. So mindset piece I would want to leave people with is what if, what if there were no, there was no v- van down by the river scenario? What if that was impossible for you? How would that change how you approach growing your business and how you think about your role in your business? And if you really take it seriously, it unlocks some things for people because they realize how much they've been hanging on to that founder's mojo has just been gripping that wheel so tightly because van down by the river. Um, what if that just wasn't there? What if you couldn't fail in a way that really mattered? Um, it opens up a lot of different possibilities. The other question, sort of mindset questions that I'll also ask people here is, what would you do if there were no right answer? And the reason I asked that one is because so many people get stuck and they get off the treadmill, or they get off the treadmill, they they get off the pathway of success because right as they get to the edge of it, they're like, but what if this isn't the right the right thing? What what if this is like the wrong thing, and I'm making a huge mistake. And what, what if, right? But what if there were just a range of options, some better than others, but there was no like one right option out there in the world that you know is the boogeyman under the bed that's going to pop up once you make a decision or once you do something. What would that change for you? Um, playing with those two questions from a mindset piece works really well for folks because it, I think it dislodges the way in which we anchor. Um, anchor into the business and entrench certain ways of doing things that keeps us from finding the true growth pathways in our business, most of which we can't see when we start the business. Um, some, some of which we can't even see when we're in the business because you know, it's hard to read the label when you're stuck inside the jar, um, I like that. <laughs> the other three no knowing scenarios we'll create for ourselves are, um, the second one is, um, being successful will cost me my character. Like nice guys finish last. Rich, wealthy mm-hmm. people are scumbags and have cheated people. Real artists starve. Like all of those sort of things, we tell ourselves about how people who are successful are somehow disintegrous or they're they're unethical people. Ergo, if we become successful at a wild level, if we sell our business and turn it, if we sell our business, we've screwed our employees. I hear if I hear that one one more time, oh, I will <laughs> lose it. Um, <laughs> Or, you know, if I set my teammate up for success and they can do things without me then and I'm not working, then I'm just that person that's profiting off of other people's work um, and that makes me a bad person. Just all those sort of stories that pop up. So that's second no-win scenario. Third no-win scenario is if I'm successful, I'll set a precedent that I'll never be able to live up to again, and that's a far fall from grace. It's kind of like if you were a middle schooler And I say middle school because this is where so many of these stories um, really, really entrenched, where it's like you're an okay student, but like that first time you made an A-plus or you knocked something out of the park, and then that's what you had to live up against the rest of your time, right? And it creates a lot of pressure, especially because of the relationship between sort of the um, hyper-creative, hyper-intuitive people who become founders have had an experience like that to where um, they were just able to generate something super quickly, and it did incredibly well they didn't necessarily know how they did it, but now all of a sudden they had to live up against that. And if they did something mm-hmm. that was less than that, then, then what are they and who are they? And like, it created its whole pathway for them. So that's the third no-win scenario. And the fourth one is success will cost me my health, my sanity, or my soul. Um, it's a, it's a different than the second one, uh, but it's just like, I will have to rake my bones. I will do all those types of things. I don't wanna do it. Like, I don't wanna be successful because I wanna be in shape look at that reality that you created there so those are sort of the four patterns that we get to that that get us off of right as we're about to be successful we're like oh i don't want the downside of that no win scenario i don't i don't want to get wealthy enough that then people question my integrity so yeah i got to do something about that right and we resolve it fundamentally we resolve these no-win scenarios by shooting for mediocrity where we're neither really winning but we're also not failing right? Because then no one really will come after us, right? We're not really one of those rich people. We're, we're doing okay, right? Okay is safe, right? Mm. Like we sort of shoot for this middle gap here um, that keeps us in this continual pendulum between groove and grind, groove and grind. Um, and every founder I know knows that that's a very thin line between when you're just in your groove and things are working and you could sink into it. And then that random Monday, something didn't work and you're back in the grind, right? Um, So the first thing that you can do when you start to see that you're reaching that point of like self-destructing your success, things like that, is really look at whether you're playing to some of those no-win scenarios. Is it really that you're backing away because you think that what you're doing will create, um, will cross across a hypocrisy line? that you feel it will make you a bad person? Is that what's going on? Is it that um, if you hire a manager to come in and take care of your business, that that person that's been in the manager position but hasn't been doing it well, is, you know, who's also your sister-in-law, is going to, like, come after you or be upset about that? Like, really get clear about what one of those stories are there, or is it just one of those things where you've got some version that success ends up in a van down by the river story?
1: So we're kind of running out of time a little bit. I want to make sure we've got, we can wrap it up. I think that was a good place to kind of stop. But is there anything you think that we should talk about that we haven't talked about yet?
0: What I would say on this one is embracing and appreciating how long it takes small businesses to grow. Um, One of the frustrations that I see and one of the sort of things that, that will trip so many founders up is... Um, their expectation that success should be um, overnight. And they don't mean like overnight then, Like I get that it's not going to be tomorrow, Charlie, but like three months from now. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, really? Susan may disagree with me on this one, but the first three or four years of your business, the reality is you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And most of the work is to figure out what the hell you're doing. So you will get lucky. You will have some lucky streaks. There will be things that take off, but like, those first three years just understand that that's what it is, um, you're broadly speaking, the next three to seven years are going to be, um, now that you know what you're doing and who you're doing it for and what your business actually is and who you need, you'll spend that time sort of building systems to building systems and processes and positioning and people to do that work. Um, then seven plus, you know, years, you, you start looking at different things of expansion, amplifying things like that. And that's a rough model. I know different businesses are going to grow at different rates. But my main point here is be thinking in like three to five year projects or growth cycles and not, you know, where you're going to be next month, next year or, you know, next month. Because I think that's what feeds so much of that um counterproductive hyper creativity and action that happens, um, with small businesses.
1: Yeah. I have to agree with that. That, that three year mark seems to be pretty consistent. Like everybody up to that point, um, every once in a while before that, you think you, you think you got it. There may have a few like, Oh, I think I got it. like you're talking about small wins but really you're right like the first three years are trying to figure out who you are as a business who you work with what what you do um and then after that it feels like it's more consistent so where can our listeners find you if they want to connect or learn more about what you do
0: well y'all i've already heard that i'm lazy so you know i don't have too many different websites to go to right so um, (laughs) all all of my work can be found at productive flourishing um, you know, we have tools for founders and small business owners. We also have a lot of great tools that help people become, be more productive, more effective, and more proactive. So, again, that's founders, or not founders mojo. Um, that's productiveflourishing.com. And, um, if you want to hear more about the book that I've recently written, it's called Start Finishing. Um, you can find that at startfinishingbook.com. P.S. That's just a redirect back to the, to the landing page on my website. So, those are the best two places. Um, Twitter's also another great place, Charlie Gilkey. Awesome, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, it's been a blast.
1: Procrastination is often a symptom and not necessarily a cause of founders getting in their own way. Lots of times procrastination happens because we're just plain scared. Scared of doing important work, scared of putting ourselves out there or scared of having to do the next thing. So I've started a little routine for myself. Every afternoon now, when I'm doing my weekly review, I go through my list of tasks and projects that I had originally planned on doing that week that, well, just didn't happen. And I'm looking at them and trying to figure out why each task didn't happen. Did I just overload my plate and expect too much from myself? Did my priorities shift and this thing that I thought was important just isn't anymore? Should this task not have been on my list in the first place and I can just delete it? or am i actually procrastinating the task for me when i start to notice i'm procrastinating something now i'm trying to be more proactive about asking myself why am i unsure of what to do have i not broken the task down into small enough chunks am i afraid of the task or afraid of the thing that i have to do after that task that's helping me identify my own roadblocks and maybe it'll help you zero in on yours As you may have noticed throughout this series, lots of the ways that founders get in their own way are actually rooted in fear. It was a really consistent theme with almost every guest I talked to. There are tons of different ways that this shows up for each of us and gets in our own way. So if you keep running into a wall somewhere or feeling like you're facing the same problem over and over, a good place to start to figure out what's happening is to start looking at yourself and ask yourself, what are you afraid of? And if you're still having a hard time identifying what's holding you back from doing your most important work, or if you're still just feeling like you're stuck being busy and you want some support, I'm here to help. In just one week, I'll create your custom action plan. I'll identify what's holding you and your business back and figure out some quick win opportunities to help your business run more effectively. I'll share my recommendations for your finances, people, operations, software, and more. And we'll get rid of those last few, but I'm so busy excuses. So you can move on to doing the work that matters. Want to find out more? Go to scalespark.co slash action plan or shoot me an email at susan at scalespark.co to schedule a free call today. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellowhouse Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafeld with production assistance by Kristen Rondon.